We have a missionary, his name is John Bonner, and he serves in Peru. And he wrote a book that I highly recommend. Even though I haven't read it, I'm going on Brian's recommendation. I have a copy, though. Does that make a difference? Called The Myth of Coincidence. And in it, he just traces his life and God's faithfulness to him. He just thought he was you know, doing this thing on his own and found out God was in all the details. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you realize that life is not a series of random acts. That life with Jesus is ordered and ordained. That he takes the past and he makes it purposeful. Even the bad things, he makes them purposeful. Life patterns can be traced. Lord, you were in this, you were in that. You were working to get me to the place mentally, physically, spiritually, where I am right now. And we find that these events of our life are predetermined, purposeful, and good. They are good. I think of so many different seeming coincidences in my life that were actually divine encounters. There's this flight attendant that Personally, I have had uh, serve me wherever seat, whether I'm in coach or um, once in premium economy, that was wonderful. She's, she's the flight attendant. And she's been my flight attendant at least five times. She's been Brian's flight attendant over um, eight times. And the first time she was Brian's flight attendant, he shared the whole gospel with her. And then he had her on the way back and she said, I was thinking about those words, those words you said, they won't get out of my mind. So he shared with her again. Um, the third time that she was the flight attendant, I was there. So she had Brian draw her a map to Calvary Chapel because she has stopovers. She's actually from Germany. But she said, I'm going to go to your church. And then the fourth time she's like, oh, you caught me. I haven't been to the church yet. And every time we see her, she's like, not you. I mean, she's almost shaking. She just knows it's God. A couple of those times she's like, I'm not even supposed to be on this flight. I picked it up for a friend. I didn't know you were going to be here. Like she's shaking. It's so fun. Another time I remember that I had a craving that turned out to be divine. It was a craving for a place called TK Maxx. Not to be confused with TJ Maxx, which is American. TK Maxx is British. Same store, but British. And uh, we needed a little carry-on. So I talked Brian into getting it or looking at TK Maxx. I, I love that place. In fact, people who know me, they give me gift certificates to that place. They know that. In fact, I have random divine appointments in that place. It's, it's, it's God-ordained, I'm just saying. But we were there and I said to Brian, let's go to TK Maxx. Well, he was doing it out of sheer love because as much as I love that place, he does not. And so he's going with me and he's, he's being so nice. So you just know it's God. And the backstory to all of this is he was trying to get in touch with this musician. He had tried everything because he really felt like God wanted him to sing and, and play at Creation Fest. But all the doors had been closed. Nothing had opened up. So here we were, and Brian said, okay, Cheryl, where is TK Maxx? And I said, oh, I remember I saw it on our walk today. I just don't remember, but I kind of remember that it's like somewhere where we already walked. And he's like, great. So then I'm you know, doing my GPS. 
and I've got it, but you know, I never can tell which way the arrow is trying to tell me. I have to walk in the wrong direction and go, oh no, this one's not it. Maybe now we got it. You know, I have to do that constantly. So Brian was showing lots and lots of patience. So we were walking in a place called Leicester Square, which is usually just, as they call it, chock-a-block with people, just full of people. And we're ready to cross the street, and miracle of all miracles, no one's around us. It's just Brian and I. But standing straight across the street, leaving Leicester Square all by himself, is this very musician that Brian wanted to meet. And he looks just um, disoriented. And as we're crossing, Brian goes up to him, puts out his hand and says, I've been looking for you and I've been praying that we would meet. He said, it's gotta be God because I'm not supposed to be here. I'm lost. I was supposed to meet a friend. He's English too, which is, you know, he's lost in London. That happens to the English and everyone else. So anyway, he goes, I know this is God. So he and Brian had this 30 minute meeting at the corner going into Leicester Square. And yes, he did play Christian Fest. It was just so God ordained. Then I remember another time in England that tends to be where my divine appointments happen, going or there. I was in England and I was driving, okay? Driving in England on the wrong side of the road, which is the way they all do too. So I'm driving and I'm, I'm, I'm disoriented and I've we're supposed to stay at a bed and breakfast place in Cambridge. I've been in Cambridge. I've been in Cambridge twice before. And either Brian had been driving or we were on a bus. Once I'd driven in, but a different way. And I really didn't know my way around. And it was nighttime, so it's hard to see. And this was before GPS. This was the time that was, you had maps. Their, their paper. <laughs> you have to get a magnifying glass so you can see the street names. And these maps in England were famous. They were called A to Zs. And so my friend is sitting in the front seat and she's trying to see in the dark where we are. And, you know, she's got the little light up above. And I came into Cambridge the wrong way. And I said, I have no idea where I am. It's raining hard. And I just pulled into this random driveway to do a U-turn, or as they call it, a reverse turn. And as I pulled in, the women in the back seat are like, we're here, we're here. And I'm thinking they need to be quiet so I can concentrate, but they can't stop saying we're here, we're here. Randomly, I had pulled into our bed and breakfast place. There's the sign, but I can't see the sign because I'm just like, we gotta find this place. I don't know who I am or what my name is and I'm in England. And we were at the very place that we were supposed to stay. It's just these random acts that you know it is the Lord. When we entrust our lives to the Lord, he directs our steps. In Psalm 37, five, it says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. When we entrust ourselves and our ways and our lives, we find that God will prepare the people that we are going to be meeting or interacting with. God will enrich others through us. God will give us a testimony. God will reveal his faithfulness to us, and we will become participants in God's great work. Now, I know there are some who are afraid to fully trust their lives to and invest in the will of God. And you know why I think that is? 
Since the very beginning of time, Satan has been doing his best to convince people that the will of God is not good. I remember this struggle when I was a teenager. Really? God, I think I have a better plan for my life than you do. I don't know if, if you have the best will. This is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan sought to persuade Eve that God's will was dysfunctional. In other words, it wouldn't work. That it was deficient, that it would leave her unfulfilled. That it was dismal without any hope or high points or fun. That it was desensitized. That God didn't really care about her feelings, her wants, or her desires. And finally, that it was dull. It was boring without any excitement, just a list of rules. But nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus promised that in him was life and that more abundantly, John 10, 10. And when Jesus talks about abundant life, he's not simply speaking of a quantity of days, but he's speaking of the highest quality of days. The truth about God's will is that it's good. It's the best thing that could happen to us. According to Psalm 1830, the will of God is perfect. According to Psalm 6511, it drips with abundance. It has the highest fulfillment. According to Romans 1513, it leads and always leads to hope. And according to Philippians 419, it's provisional. It will always meet our needs. This morning in my personal devotions, I was reading 1 Kings 17 where the ravens came and fed Elijah. When Elijah followed the instructions of the Lord, even though there was no water in Israel, even though people were struggling with food, the ravens came and fed Elijah. And I was wondering if Jesus was drawing our attention to that story when he said in Luke 12, 24, look at the ravens. Look at the ravens. Look how they don't build barns. They don't store. In fact, they're so irresponsible and they're a little bit obnoxious, aren't they? You know, you always feel like ravens are yelling at you. You're like ugly people. What should we do to them? But Jesus said, look at them. God cares for them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that God cares about sparrows and birds and lilies of the field. And in Matthew 6, verse 8 and verse 32, twice Jesus tells us that our Father in heaven knows even before we ask what we have need of and is already waiting to give us those desires, those needs. God's will is exciting. I don't think the disciples ever woke up and went, oh, another day with Jesus. Great. What's he going to do? Heal the blind? You know, I don't think it was boring. You know, I think it was so like, oh, where's he going? What's he going to do now? You never knew. I mean, they didn't expect him to walk on water. They didn't expect him to stop the storm. They didn't expect him to heal the lame or to gather the children up on his lap or to feed the multitudes. 
Every day with Jesus brought adventure, excitement, fulfillment, joy, testimony. It was full of the unexpected and life today with Jesus. Following the will of God is still full of the exciting, the adventure, and the unexpected. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Eye is not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has planned for those who love him. You're almost like of the Christian life. Christian life, you ain't seen nothing yet. That should be our slogan. But our misguided thinking added to the constant slanderous whisper of Satan makes us think that we can choose better for ourselves. We think we can choose better what will work. Lord, I want to stay in this because I do this the best. I only want to make enchiladas. That's what I do the best. Or we think we know what will and won't work. Lord, that's not going to work out. I've, I've been down that road before. I've I fished in the Galilee before I caught nothing. Don't ask me to go back out. Or we know best what will fulfill us and what will bless us. Do you remember when you were a little kid and your parents were trying to talk you into eating something and you were just like, no, not even, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I think I told you this story before and I'll keep it short, but trying to talk my grandson eating, to eating taking a bite of chocolate ice cream. And he was like so resistant, like it's, it's the color of dirt. It's cold. Why would I want that? And he was just like, mm, mm, mm. but he started to cry. So I just stuck the spoonful in his mouth when he went, in it went. And he went, oh. huh? he ate almost a pint. You know, I think we're sometimes like that with the will of God. We're like, no, I don't want it. It's not what I want. And no. And it goes in. We're like, well, it's, it's not so bad. Maybe, maybe I'll do that after all. We are so limited. We know very little about the past. We know nothing about the future. And we don't even know ourselves. And I think that's proven when you turn to your friend and say, does that sound like me? In fact, they said that people don't like the sound of their own voice. Whenever you hear it, you're like, does that really, is that what I sound like? Is that funny? We don't even know what we sound like. My ears make me sound better than I do. Genesis 24 is a testimony to the glory of when we let God choose his will for us. Here's a story rich in romance adventure, suspense, joy, riches, and success. It's the ultimate Cinderella story. Camel girl goes to riches. Abraham is old, really old, somewhere around 140 or so. Isn't that funny? It's like, I'm at this age now where I'm always checking Brian. If he's not snoring, is he breathing? You know, at first you're annoyed and then you're like, wait, this proves he's alive. This is good. This is really good. Because it seems like every day it's like, okay, I'm still alive. So I'm here to serve the Lord. That's where I'm at right now. 
He doesn't think he has much time on earth, though he will have 35 more years. Every day is a grace. But all of the promises of God to him revolve around this unmarried son, Isaac. Now, Isaac is going to be, as Abraham, the father of many nations. From him, the Messiah will come. So how is this possible? That descendants as many as the stars of the sky or grains of sand are gonna come from this unmarried son. Abraham's getting older. He wants to see Isaac married and grandchildren before he passes on. God so far has kept every word he spoke to Abraham. Verse one of chapter 24 tells us that God blessed Abraham in all things. So, so far, God is five for five. And Abraham's like, God's not going to stop now. So Abraham calls for his oldest servant, probably an old man himself, because he's the oldest one in Abraham's house. The servant had served and been with Abraham for a long, long time. And he ruled over all of Abraham's house and everything Abraham owned, which meant that this servant was proven, proven to be trustworthy, proven to be faithful. And not only that, but he knew his master, having companion and been with him for such a long time. He knew what his master would like. He knew what his master loved. He's obedient. He's been entrusted with much and he's been faithful with that. So Abraham charges him and he says, put your hand under my thigh. Now that sounds very strange to us. We don't do that today. We shake hands, we sign papers. But in those days, it was that the old hand under the thigh maneuver. And what it meant was that you're under an obligation to me, that I have authority over what you're going to do. I'm kind of glad that practice has been lost. Just saying. But he charges him by God, the creator, the sovereign over heaven and earth, the God who orders all of life on earth, the God who is aware of all of his creation. He charges him with going to Mesopotamia to his kindred, to find a wife for Isaac. He is not to seek a wife among the Canaanites. It's possible that being Abraham's oldest servant, he knew the area that Abraham had come from. And he even knew the family that was in Mesopotamia. The servant is a bit overwhelmed by this obligation. Can you imagine? It's a long trip. 520 miles and about a 21 day journey by camel. We were talking in the leaders class that if GPSs had like, you know how it has walk, the little person walking, has the car, has the train. But what if it had one that camel, you know, you, and how many by camel, you know? I know it's gonna take, you know, this long if I walk it, this long if I take the car, but by camel. And it would come up 21 days. So it's a, 21-day camel journey. But the servant is concerned. What if he can't find a girl, the girl? Or what if he finds the girl, but she's unwilling to come? I mean, this is quite an endeavor. Not only is it a long trip, but he's got to find a girl, the right girl, who is willing to leave family and home and everything 
to marry a man she's never seen and live in a land that she has never been to before. But Abraham is absolutely confident that God will lead his servant. Why? Because according to verse seven, Abraham bases this confidence that it's the same God who called him out of Mesopotamia. It's the same God who spoke to Abraham and promised Abraham much. It's the same God who has fulfilled all his word to Abraham. God is not going to stop blessing after he's fulfilled all these promises. Now in the Bible, when it comes to the prophets, you have something that's near and far. And maybe you know, you've read Isaiah, like Isaiah chapter seven, and it talks about Ahaz and how Ahaz is going to win the battle. The Assyrians are not going to attack. And then it goes into this strange uh, prophecy about a virgin will um, bring forth a son and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you're like, how did they pull that one out of the others? Well, what would happen is prophets would give prophecies that were near fulfilled. And so you could trust the way, the ones that would be further away. And the credibility for the distant prophecy that would come true would be the one that had already been fulfilled or the the near that would guarantee the far. God is not going to stop his goodness. Dave and Nancy Sylvester, who live in York, England, um, by a miracle, he was walking the walls of the city. They didn't have a church, but he felt like the Lord was telling him, start a church, plant a church in York, England. And he came to the gatehouse in England and he saw that there was some construction. So he goes in, he said, what's going on? And they said, oh, well, we're fixing it up. The council wants to rent it out. And he said, well, how much? They said, go to the council office. Well, Dave has no money at all, but he goes to the council office and he says, um, I'm interested in renting it, how much? And they said, 2,000 pounds. And he said, oh, I can't afford it. And they said, a year, for the full year, only 2,000 pounds. He said, well, well, I wanna put my name on the list of people who want it. So he put his name on the list, just trusting that the Lord would provide 2,000 pounds. I mean, that's a basic rent of but it's for the full year. So he puts his name on the list. Um, in the meantime, this church in America gives him 2,000 pounds, said the Lord just put it on our heart. So he's got 2,000 pounds, finds out he's the only person who put his name on the list. It goes to him. Uh, they, they want to start, but uh, for the first time ever, a truck hits, it's, it's a gate that goes in and out of York, the main entrance in and out of York hits one of the pillars. So they can't go in it because they have to make it stronger. But the newspapers come out. So now Dave's got free advertisement about his church. They interview him. What are you doing? What's going on? Well, everyone's invited in York to come to church because this is what we believe. And they write it all down. So now he's got this church. He's got this building. But they need to move to York. They've been living in this little one-room house with three of their children. They decide to move to York. And this is what happens. They go to the litting office and they said, well, we don't have any um, lits right now, but this is what we do have. There's this man who's gonna sell his house, but it doesn't look like it's gonna go through. Maybe go talk to him. They go to talk to him. He's an 80-year-old missionary. 
He doesn't wanna sell it to the people he's selling it. When he sees Dave and Nancy, he says, I wanna sell it to you, I'll tell you what. You just pay me rent and I'll make it count for um, a down payment and for buying the house. And he said, and not only that, I have a library that I can't use. Uh, would you like some Christian books? Dave is ecstatic, because that's his language of love books. And he says, and I have a piano I can't take with me. Nancy had left her piano in Arizona to go on the mission field. This is the piano that God gives her. They are ecstatic. So now they've got a house, they've got a place, but you know what? There's a problem, they don't have any chairs. And I remember being at a conference in Hungary and Dave's going, I know we have everything, but we don't have chairs. And I remember saying to him, Dave, God has given you a house. He's given you books. He's given you a piano. He's given you a place. He's not going to stop at the chairs. Well, the next day we come downstairs. He's got one of those smug looks that only men can have, you know. I'm like, you've got the chairs. And he shakes his head, yes. This is what God did. A country club calls up. How they got Nancy's phone number, Nancy doesn't even know to this day, and says, look, we've got all these chairs. We heard you're a church. We heard you need chairs. We can sell them to you for a pound a piece. They're brand new. They're just the wrong fabric. And she said, great. How many? And they said, 75 chairs. She has exactly 75 pounds in her bank account. She goes, and the lady says, oh, by the way, we, we counted wrong. There's 150. Nancy keeps writing the check knowing there's not 150. And she's thinking, well, God, you can multiply. I don't know how you're going to do it, but maybe by the time this goes through. And the lady looks at her and says, what are you doing? She says, I'm writing a check. She says, no, they've already been paid for. To this day, Dave and Nancy do not know how those chairs were paid for. There's so much more, but I just remember God's not going to stop. He's not going to stop short of fulfilling all of his promises. In the Bible, he's not going to stop short, having come this far. And this is what Abraham bases his confidence on. God has kept his word thus far. He's not going to stop now. But he says to the servant, if the woman is unwilling, then you're released from this obligation. So the servant sets out after his oath to Abraham. He takes 10 of Abraham's camels. He takes supplies and a treasury of gifts. And he arrives in Nahor. And he has the camels kneel down to rest. And he begins to pray to God. Now, this is what my dad would call a directed prayer. A directed prayer. My dad said not to pray this way, but it worked for this guy. So I've tried it myself. And he says, Lord, will you reveal the right woman to me by having her volunteer to water the camels? That is quite an undertaking. Now, I know what it says in our little book of how much water a camel can drink, but on the internet, on fact check, it said that camels can drink 53 gallons of water in three minutes. Multiply that by 10 gallons, I mean 10 camels, 10 camels, 53 gallons each, and you've got 530 gallons. One gallon of water weighs 10 pounds. So do you realize what this servant is actually praying for? Lord, give me a robust, strong, willing to work hard for no visible reward, hospitable and caring woman for my master's son. He's not asking for beauty, is he? Lord, give me beautiful, great figure, good eyes. No. 
robust, strong, willing to work hard for no visible reward, hospitable and caring. Don't you? My aunt, who was a pastor, it's on my mom's side, so she's got all the, you know, whatever. But my aunt was a pastor and she went out on a call. This man had lost his wife and she went to the house to, you know, minister to him. And, you know, she said, you know, I'm so sorry about sister so-and-so, but she's in glory. The man just put his head down and shook it from right to left and said, I'm going to miss that woman. She was a hard worker. My aunt said she just got up and left the house. (laughs) This is a lot of trips to the well. It's quite a few bucketfuls. But when the servant is still silently praying, here comes beautiful Rebecca with her pitcher on her shoulder to draw water. The servant runs to her and asks for a drink. Not only does she give a servant the drink, but then she volunteers to fill the trough with water for the thirsty camels. Now the servant remains quiet till he can ascertain who this young girl is. I don't know what his thinking process is. Uh, Maybe the girls here in Nahor are really nice and love camels. But he immediately rewards the girl for her service with a nose ring and bracelets, then inquires if there is lodging at her house. At that moment, she reveals that she is the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Nahor, after whom the city is named. I think she's saying, oh, I'm a person of, of you know, interest. My grandfather is the one who founded this city. And yes, there is lodging at our house. At this word, the servant realizes how faithful God has been to him. And he bows his head and right there in the center of town by the well, he begins to worship. Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. The Lord got me right here where I am supposed to be. Not only was God faithful to Abraham, but he had been absolutely faithful to Abraham's servant right in the very so to speak, driveway of Rebecca's house. Rebecca runs home, informs her family of all that has taken place. And her brother Laban, seen, I love this man, seen the ring in her nose. Whoa, where'd you get that nose ring? And seeing the bracelets. And then hearing the story of God's providence, runs out to meet the servant of Abraham himself and invites the whole entourage to the house. At dinner, the servant refuses to eat until he shares the whole story, the testimony, and receives the answer from Rebecca's family concerning the success of his mission. The family sees God's hand in all the workings. They agree to let Rebecca be the wife of Abraham's son. And at that point, the servant opens up his treasury and gives Rachel a change of clothes, more jewelry, And it's only a foretaste of her new identity and the blessings, the prestige, and the wealth that will come as Isaac's wife. He also enriches Laban and Rebekah's mother with gold and silver when they are willing to let her go. About 24 years ago, 1996, when the Lord spoke to Brian and I that we were to move to England, 
One of the hardest things to do was to tell my parents that the Lord was leading us to England. One of the hardest things for my dad to ever hear was that the Lord was leading us to England. He said he didn't mind Brian going to England. It was, it was me and, and the grandkids. But I remember my mom just sobbing, just breaking down and sobbing. And she called me um, Sunday morning before church and she was just crying. And she said, Cheryl, I have been praying for England for 10 years. And I've been praying and interceding. I just never knew there would be a personal cost to my prayers. But I remember she said, don't let my tears stop you from doing the will of the Lord. Don't let my, you know, please or my crying. But this is my mom. She used to have a box of cease candy. She would take a piece and then she would hand me the box and she said, take it away, hide it, and don't give it back to me even if I yell or scream. She would do that quite a bit. It didn't matter if it was ice cream or whatever. Take it away and don't give it back to me, even if I yell or scream. So she was saying to me, even if I yell and scream, don't stop from doing the will of the Lord. A few days later, I read this passage. It was in my personal devotions. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Cheryl, I'm going to reward your mom and your dad for allowing you to go. I have a gift for them if, if and when and as they are willing to release you and Brian to my service. And I told that to my mom. I called her up and I said, this is what the Lord just showed me for you. And I remember what she said. She said, I don't like that. <laughs> it might be true, but I don't like that. And I, right now I'm not in a place to receive it. I told you, you can go. That should be enough. And I said, even if I yell and scream, you still have to go, but I don't want to hear that. But I remember I had been in England for about six months. And what happened is I was just at that point saying, Lord, I miss my mom so much. I just really miss my mom. And the phone rang right then, like before I finished my prayer, the phone rang. And I hear, Cheryl, is this you? And I'm like, Mom. She said, I saw this, these random numbers that your dad had written out on a piece of paper. And I thought, I wonder if that's Sherry. Don't ever call me that. That's her private name for me. And she said, so I just punched them in the phone, and it is. And I said, Mom, at this very moment, I was just crying to the Lord, telling him how much I missed you. And she said, oh, isn't he so good? And I said, yes. She said, and remember that thing that you told me about Rebecca? And I said, yes. She goes, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. She said, you know, my time with the Lord has been so precious. And he's been giving me so many insights in his word, new insights, precious insights that I wouldn't trade for anything. And she said, he really does reward the one who is willing to give him everything. Never forget that conversation. The next morning, Rebecca's family tries to persuade the servant to stay another 10 days. I don't know if they yelled or screamed. He refuses. He wants to hasten back to his master. No doubt he is so excited at the prosperity, the immediacy, and answer to Abraham's commission. He wants to do this as fast as possible. Maybe he even got the camels back within 20 days on the way back. They ask Rebecca what she wants, and she says, I will go. And they send her off with a maid, which would have been more like a girlfriend, 
and a blessing. Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate him. Rebecca goes the long journey to a land far away. It is indeed a great commitment for Rebecca. As a woman, it means that she most probably will never ever see any of her relatives again. She's going to an unknown place to live in a tent, not a house. She's going to an unknown bridegroom and she's going on the testimony of the servant of Abraham. Perhaps because she recognizes the hand of the Lord on Abraham's life, because the Lord has been preparing her for this day, or because she loves the testimony that includes her to find out that she is part of God's story and that she has been chosen by God, called by God, and sought out by God. Rebecca goes, and as she arrives, there's no doubt a company of servants and people. Abraham had over 300 trained servants in his household, and they're milling about. But as she looks up, there's this, my own imagination kicks in here, devastatingly handsome man coming over the hills. And all of these men look like nothing. And she turns to the servant and no doubt, don't you know, on this whole journey, she's like, what's he like? What's he look like? What's he talk like? What's his favorite thing to eat? You know, what's his favorite song? What's his favorite band? She's asking all the questions about Isaac to the servant, finding out all about Isaac. And now she sees, and she says, uh, to quote my granddaughter, ooh la la. <laughs> and who is that? Not who are any of these, is he among these? But who's that? And he says, that's Isaac. That's my master's son. And immediately she puts the veil over her face, signaling that she agrees to this marriage. Now, I find it ironic that she went without knowing what Isaac looked like. And now Isaac is going to have to marry her without knowing what she looks like. <laughs> Isaac as part of the marriage ceremony, takes Rebecca into his mother's tent. It is respectful. And by doing so, he's conferring to Rebecca all the esteem, respect, and position of Sarah, who had been the matriarch of the family and the covenant wife of Abraham and heir to all the promises of God. Now, Rebecca will be the matriarch of this family and the heiress to all the promises of God and the wife of the covenant. The final note of chapter 24 is that Isaac loved Rebecca and that he was comforted by Rebecca from his mother's death. Here is a chapter ultimately about trusting God. Abraham trusts God and therefore entrusts God's will to his servant. The servant trusts God to show him the right wife for Isaac. Bethuel and his wife and his son Laban entrust Rebekah to the servant. And Rebekah entrusts her life and future to the servant of Abraham and ultimately to Isaac. And what unfolds because of the trust and faith 
is the ultimate e-harmony story. Rich with suspense, will the servant find the right girl? Will the right girl be willing? Will Rebecca be attracted to Isaac? Will Isaac love Rebecca? The story of wealth, the servant is entrusted with riches and the servant bestows the riches on Rebecca and her family. It's a story of enrichment. Rebecca's life is enriched by being in the lineage of the chosen of God. Rebecca's family is enriched with the gold and treasury that God has given to Abraham. The servant's faith is enriched as he sees that God not only meets Abraham with the promises, but also the servant. And Abraham's family is enriched with a robust, strong, willing to care for animals, beautiful woman. And Isaac is enriched with a godly wife that he loves. It's a story of divine encounters when you trust the Lord, that the right place, the right time, the right person, the right word, the right action, and the right confirmation happens. The servant goes in the right direction. The servant meets Rebecca of all the girls in the area. The family meets the head servant of Abraham, their relative. Rebecca sees Isaac coming up from the field and is immediately attracted. It's a story filled with typology. Abraham, like the heavenly father, entrusts the Holy Spirit who is in charge of the operations of all of God's house to find the bride for his son, Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit who is now preparing the church to be the bride of Jesus. The church like Rebecca is not an Israelite. She must be sought out and found and she must be willing to leave all that she knows, all that is familiar and marry the one she has only heard the witness of. It's a story rich in testimony. God is faithful to his word, to his promises, to his own, to his servants. God is faithful to lead, prepare, answer, prosper, work, bring success, and bless. This story reminds us that God is absolutely faithful when we trust and entrust even the most delicate matters to him. I know many believers who are willing to entrust certain things to God, but keep others in their back pocket. I've had people say to me, well, you know, Cheryl, I've, I've given God a good 50%, but I, I just kind of think that this other 50%, I might be able to do a little better than God. I think of when Jesus gave the talents to the servants, to the one he gave the 10, to the other, the five, the one, the one, and the 10 gave it all back. He spent it on his master and he was enriched. But the one who hid what he was given he was rebuked. He didn't trust the master. He didn't trust. He didn't use what the master had given him. My dad used to love the hymn, Like a River Glorious. And in that hymn is a line that says, those who trust him wholly, find him wholly true. It is that full trust, that full investment that will bring back the greatest dividends your blessings are directly related to how much you invest. The more God is allowed to lead, 
the more he will lead us into his good will. God won't force you to give it all to him. For some of us and for most of us, it is a progressive submission. Personally, I'm at that place where I wanna make sure everything is under the authority of Jesus Christ. And when I find those little rebellious places in me, which still unfortunately exist at time, that pocket of resistance, what I do is I bring it under the authority of Jesus Christ just as quickly as I can because I have found that things that I hold on to, things that I think that I know better with are always the thorns and snares in my life. But the places, even though it might be painful, the offerings that I give God are the things that are most blessed. As the psalmist said in Psalm 119.68, God is good and he does good. God's will is to enrich your life, to lead you in his good ways and his good will, to prosper you, to fulfill his promises to you, to love on you, to bring you joy and adventure, and to fulfill the desires, the good desires of your heart. The more you trust and entrust to him, the more exciting and revolutionary your life will become. I want you to stand up a second and then we're gonna bow our heads and pray. Will you close your eyes for a second? I think all of us probably have something that maybe we're holding on to and we need to entrust to the Lord. Something that maybe even as you give it to the Lord, you're so afraid. You're like, Lord, I'm, I'm gonna give this to you. And maybe Satan has been saying to you, oh, well, God, is, does he really care about those heart thoughts, those desires of your heart? Maybe you're hearing the lies, God doesn't care. The will of the Lord is dull, it's boring, it's all about rules. And so you've got this place. And maybe right now you say, Cheryl, I need even the will to give it to the Lord. I, 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 I need to, right now it's even hard for me to open up my hands and say, all right, Lord, not my will, but yours be done to really trust that God's gonna do the best thing in this. I need to be able to trust and entrust. If that's you, I want you to just put your hands out and I just want you to put that thing, whatever it is, that place that's really hard for you to trust, imagine that it's in your hands and you're gonna offer it to God right now. And let me pray for you, Lord, you see these meager offerings. You see the places, and Lord, you know the cost. You know the difficulty. You know the slander that we've heard whispered in our ears, that if we give this to you, it will die. It will be destroyed. will be maimed. Lord, you know that lie. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would rebuke the lie, that you would take our offerings as meager as, um, as um, we offer them. And Lord, that you would place your great will, your great goodness, your great power upon this place, this thing. And Lord, you would bring all, all of your goodness to bear, that you would bless because Lord, by the power invested in us by the Holy Spirit, 
we give you this thing, this desire, this person, this difficulty, this situation, this obligation, this circumstance. We give it to you and we ask for your glorious will. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the assurance and confidence of Abraham that just as you have blessed and worked and done so far in our lives, you will work in this situation to bring glory and a testimony. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.